0: Bible, a custom designed to your Bible reading plan, and the weekly podcast by myself, Chris Case, pastor of Resonate Church. I'm here with Sarah Pasquale, our executive producer, executive director, not producer. Uh, oh, all these recordings, man, just hey throw there, me off. Everybody. <laughs> um, so I'm glad you're with us as we continue once again through Numbers and Acts uh, we got another week of that and another week after this and we will keep going through uh, these books and uh, seeing what's great is that they're both sort of narrative so there's some movement there's some stories that happen one after the other which uh, sometimes are, are easier to read that way um, it doesn't make interpreting them any easier but uh, it, it reads sometimes a little lighter than uh, some other sections of scripture may and so, yeah
1: I, there's this for me just the way I'm wired, there's this like thrill There kind of feels like a treasure hunt in discovering and trying to understand God and His character. And sometimes, um, especially when studying the Old Testament right now, it's sometimes it's a lot of work. And so there's a thrill to it, but it also kind of makes me have to confront things about God that I don't quite understand and that don't quite seem to line up with His character. And there are other times it's really easy, but I feel like that's kind of been my journey through Numbers, and I had to ask some harder questions this week.
0: And, and I think that gets into some of the genre conversations of like, you read things about God, you're like, all right, that doesn't line up with this thing over here. And and when we read like an epistle, it feels a little more like systematic theology. Sometimes yeah. you, you have these like direct statements of the, the the descriptors or attributes of God in those texts. And then you read over here we're like you'll read God is unchanging and then you'll read in a narrative, like God, bargaining with people it's like all right if god's unchanging how is he over here bargaining and how do i reconcile those things and it makes it it does make it a little tougher but narrative sometimes we gotta we gotta sometimes process that it's not always normative and it's sometimes perspective um and making sure that we we hold that a little bit intention um is is the thing just descriptive from the perspective of moses or is it prescriptive of the nature of god Mm -hmm. and, and understanding how that works and but so, if you're
1: asking those questions, it's really, really good. It means you are seeking to understand and know God with your mind.
0: Yeah. And which is important. Yeah. And really good. All right. Uh, so, numbers. Yeah. And so, we're still picking up to me, I think, uh, in this sort of flashback moment where they're sort of uh, going through um, the, 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 end of the formation of the tabernacle they're celebrating passover they're filling in some of the details so moses or wrote numbers is filling in some of these details of going all right and they celebrated passover but there were some questions about that like okay if we're unclean can we celebrate passover and they're like well you can wait a month but there's still provision everyone yeah. should pa- celebrate passover it is the most momentous day it is independence day for for these people and so um they, they god seems to make sure like all right there's always going to be a way for you to celebrate this right. day
1: yeah, that, it's a provision and a way for every single person to stop and recall and remember what God has done for them in delivering them from slavery.
0: Yep, and, and even non-Israelites can celebrate with them. Mm-hmm. and So that's, that's good news. This is trying to seek to bless the nations uh, in God's instructions. Um, whether they do, that's another story, but uh, the provision's there. Yeah. And then a, a repeat of, hey, the cloud, uh, it's, it's, it's coming on the tabernacle, but it will be the thing that leads us. It is sort of like our spiritual GPS, uh, and, uh, God will lead them around, uh, to where they need to go and they just need to follow. Um, and and so that cloud's going to set off in a moment. And so I think this is just a reminder of, of that cloud.
1: Yeah. And I think it may be easy to read this and be like, man, if I had a cloud and a fire to follow, literally, it'd be so easy for me to follow and obey God. But it's, I mean, Israel wasn't any more faithful, than I am, and also remember that that spirit, that presence of God, if you are a Christian, is dwelling within you, and so you may be led and guided not with your visual sight always, but God can lead and guide you through a spirit that's dwelling within you.
0: Yeah, and so uh, Moses has to make these trumpets. And he designs them and uh, my my imagery immediately goes to like this sort of like Captain Von Trapp whistle blowing <laughs> where it's like he's got these unique whistles that each do different things and signal different children. But um God has these sort of horns and they blow and they mean different things depending on how they're blown and um yeah.
1: Yeah. So Israel would speak to God and be like, Help us defeat or win this battle in military or like almost kinda like a prayer. And other times it would just God communicating to Israel that He is with them, his presence. Yeah. It's there.
0: It's great. And then they their bags are packed. They're ready to go. So let's go. And they're starting their journey. The cloud's ready to lead them. Uh, and they head out in a pretty planned orderly fashion. They sort of march out of town. And then we get this random little dialogue about this guy named Hobab uh, who is like, hey, um, I think I'm going home. And Moses is like, no, we kind of need you. Like you're, you're good at setting up tents and knowing where to camp in the wilderness. Um, but if you're going to go, m- may God bless you. And then it sort of seems like Hobab's like. Okay, fine. I'll stay. Yes, I'll stay. Um, and so I, I think we'll pick up on the Hobab story later. I think it's told here to sort of go, hey, like, remember Hobab because we're going to, we're going to pick yeah, up Yeah, his, his descendants, descendants become
1: the Kenites, which will show up in Judges and some other parts yeah. as we continue to read.
0: But yeah. And so it just, to me, it feels like a slightly out of place story since there's no real accusation. Moses is the one who initiated the conversation, but, um, but I think it'll, play out later
1: yeah and i kind of think of of israel as like you know if you're about to go on like a backpacking trip or like even like a long hike or something you have all your stuff you're ready to go you're excited and you're moving along and you're checking along you feel good and then like somehow like you st- maybe start to get a little bit tired and yeah it's not as easy as it was you lose yeah. momentum and,
0: and the israelites start complaining and and hear me i'm not defending the israelites complain but um if you've seen the places where they are wandering um it is rough terrain it is not pleasant and um, it's not glamorous it would have been very hard uh, for them I think uh, physically um, uh, but at the same time God's with them and they probably should not do what they did. God responds with fire Moses prays but then they start complaining about food and and, and wanting the meals that they used to have uh, back uh, back in Egypt and it's it's a struggle, and and it's it's stuff that Moses and God are sort of like, oh, come on. Uh, like Moses eventually is like, uh, I can't, I can't deal with these people. Like, just kill me at this point. <laughs> he just has given up, uh, sort of dealing with the Israelites at this point.
1: Yeah, I, I think for Israel to follow God to the Promised Land, it's not easy. It's hard. They have been by God delivered from slavery. They've been given His law, uh, and shortly into their journey into the desert they suddenly start to believe that everything God has given them that at one point was enough is no longer enough. And how often do we find ourselves doing the same thing, complaining about God's provision? Maybe you're praying so hard for a job and you get it. And then a few months into it, you're like, actually, this job isn't super great. Or like, I actually need more money than I thought I would. Or all you want in your whole life is a spouse. You pray for it, you get it. And then suddenly you're unhappy. So, and I, I mean, there's a tension there to walk, but just understand that this is something we all do. At one point, something that we may have attributed to God's provision, we suddenly consider to be a hardship.
0: Yeah. And and they have the essential things they need. Like, they've got food every day. They've got their clothes that are not wearing out. They, they, they could strike rocks and water can show up. Um, right. They're given victory when there's been people that have attacked them. And so, like, all the things have, have been given to them. And at some point, it's like, all right, like, what? They're they're trying to find other things to complain about. There's always something to complain about, and instead of being thankful for the things they have, they're like, "Well, what about meat? We're tired of eating these little bread cake things every day, and we just want some meat. Can you give us some meat, God?" Um, and and God being like, "I just gave you everything you could possibly need, and yet you're still here complaining and wanting more."
1: And yeah, so- and I think with their with their asking for meat. I don't know. I mean, maybe this is speculation, but it seems to me it's more how they asked for it rather than the fact that they asked for it. They wanted God to serve them. They didn't want to serve God. And they requested it or kind of demanded it from a place of complaint and hardship, which yeah. to me is a warning of not necessarily what I pray for, but how I pray for it yeah. and how I approach God.
0: And there's a recurring theme in their complaints around like, ah, oh, we had it better back there. And back when it wasn't with Yahweh, and so I, that I think was probably the greatest offense to Yahweh to be like, oh, "No, that, that's not true." Um, and so uh, that's that's why I think there's some stirring of anger in Yahweh in some of these responses. Um, and so um, there's eventually a sort of a, a solution to all this grumbling, and God uh, God has Moses appoint these seventy basically spirit empowered middle management for his, for his team. Uh, they're, they're filled with the spirit and, um, and start prophesying and other things. But God tells him, sure, if you want meat, I'm going to give you meat, but I'm going to give you so much neat meat. You're going to be sick of it. Um, so he says, yes, but he It's almost, uh, I was thinking of, uh, uh, Bruce Almighty, when uh, he decides to answer prayers by saying yes to all, and it causes all sorts of havoc. After that, it's like, all right, well, it, I'm going to give you what you want here, but it's not going to—you're not going to be happy about it. Um, and, in a way, to sort of go like, look, like <clears throat> you say you had it better. I want to give you a reminder that you didn't. Um, and and he sort of teaches them a lesson, I think, in in some of that. Um,
1: yeah, I think the lesson maybe for us here is to be cautious in in us thinking we know what is best for us. And there's a difference between going like, God, I would like this, but really I want what you think is best for me versus God, this is the best for me no matter what. Um, And eventually, like I have a friend who, you know, really wanted to go to a certain private college and like convinced her dad to co-sign on a loan with her. And, 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 he was like, "I don't think this is a good idea, but insisted on it." And she had kind of like regretted that decision for a long, long time after that. Her dad knew it was best, but but he let her have what she wanted, and she kind of had to learn that the hard way.
0: Yeah. and uh, he gives him quail too, and uh, inherent in a quail is also a little bit more of God's judgment. And sometimes it's hard to read uh, some of these some of these scenarios of like all right how how is he?" steadfast and loving and yet having these sort of moments and um i think there's always a little bit of the the two things that are happening at once of god going look look i i I am holy and i love you but i also can't have my people just sitting there grumbling and and saying that that i'm not good when i am good and Mm, yeah um and, and, and sometimes giving these reminders, I mean, he's reminding them with the very thing that they had when God provided for them on their way to Sinai because they had manna and they had quail and – um I think he's going, Look, like I've given you a quail before and I provided for you then and there's some sort of craving in, in the way that the, the Hebrew reads in, in the quail section, there's some sort of craving for something. Whether it's the craving to go back to Egypt, whether it's a craving for just the quail itself or something, there's something going on in the hearts of some of the people where it's those who had the sort of craving, those who had this sort of um rebellious heart that God ultimately responds to uh, by providing this quail um, and so it's it's a right response to whatever's happening it's not it's not a punishment for everybody in in Israel here uh, but um, it, it definitely walks the tension of being like I don't love this story mm-hmm. but I get it especially as a parent, like I, I get sometimes like my kids sometimes do need for their good to, to learn certain lessons. And it's not always pleasant for them to learn those lessons. Um, and, and I think God's giving a, a sort of an unpleasant way to sort of keep refining his people.
1: Yeah. And to remind them and to teach them to be more thoughtful about what they ask for yeah. <laughs> or what they demand. Yeah,
0: They can't just go around being be like, you owe us this and you owe us that. And that's not, we, we don't, we don't, we shouldn't function that way. Um, yeah. So then
1: we transition into another rebellion and another complaint.
0: Yeah, this one's less about um, uh, God's provision and like the grumbling in the desert. It's it's just Aaron and Miriam uh, leadership. In some in some ways, yeah, being jealous of Moses' special sort of position with God. Um, they're complaining about his wife, and there's all sorts of like reasons why that that could be. Whether Moses is in polygamy Moses has married an outsider who who knows so they have some problem with Moses his wife and um and complain and Yahweh sort of has a little powwow with the three of them um and and God sort of just simply says look I I talk to Moses face to face and that's the arrangement Moses and I have I give others visions and dreams and that's how it is and um and for every reason Miriam is the one who gets sick from uh the response Mm -hmm. here yeah um and, and maybe it's because Aaron's a priest and he having, especially the high priest, like the idea of him being inflicted with the skin disease and all that would be problematic or who knows why it's just Miriam, but um, but it's also an uncleansing thing. Like she has to go outside the camp. She comes back. She's restored. Everything's good after that. But um, there is a response once again to the sort of like, God, you're not being fair uh, kind of complaint.
1: Yeah. I think when we look here at the big picture, we see, we kind of, we see Miriam and Aaron are trying to enforce or get gain some kind of control over God or manipulate God. Um, they're trying to justify themselves before God and earn some sort of position with God that God has not given them. And so, contrast that behavior with the meekness of Moses. It's really different. So God is not one who can be controlled or manipulated really into doing what we want him to do. And so I think their real complaint really probably had nothing to do with Moses's wife, uh, but with who God was speaking through. They wanted the power and influence of God speaking through them and weren't cool with it just being Moses.
0: Yeah. And there's also an interesting way that Moses will haggle with God and Miriam and Aaron have with love mm. God because Miriam and Aaron aren't like, Hey God, you told us that this would be true and you haven't lived up to your end of the bargain. When Moses will play that card against God being like, look, Moses, I'm pointing back to your promises and your character to try to, to try right. to get an answer. And Miriam and Aaron are like, we just don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and that's a very different approach to me of right. how to talk through with God of being like, look, God, you said you were good and you aren't being good. Like, that is a proper approach to God yeah. of like, help me understand that. Or, or God, can you show favor versus like, God, I want this.
1: <laughs> right. And Merim and, uh, and Aaron were speaking against Moses. So they were probably like kind of gossiping and complaining about him to others as well.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: All right. So, so we move past that. Yeah. We're starting to get towards Canaan. And Canaan.
0: Um, Moses sends out some scouts. There's 12 of them, uh, including two standouts and Joshua and Caleb, who will continue to be a part of the storyline.
1: Yeah, something cool is, so, okay, so we learn that Hosea is Joshua, and Hosea means he saves, and he's renamed Joshua, which means Yahweh yeah. saves.
0: Yeah, and they scout out the land. Uh, they report uh, about Canaan, so they, they scout it out for 40 days, a good old perfect number in scripture. Uh, <laughs> they come back, and uh, they say, look, like the land's great. Like, it's what we expect, uh, but there's a problem. And there's some people there and they are like giants and they would destroy us and they seem pretty happy to stay there. I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. And Caleb, one of the spies, is like, no, 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 we we got this. We we think we're going to be good. And the rest of the spies seem to disagree uh, with that.
1: Yeah, they're so. afraid. They don't trust God. I, I don't, I mean, I don't exactly understand this. I'm sure there's things at play that I don't quite get, but like they've seen God have power over life and death. They've seen his cloud and his fire. They know he dwells with them. They know he controls nature. Why don't they believe? Yeah. But we also, maybe sometimes we'll walk forward in faith, but only if we have that 401k still or, you know, some other kind of backup op- option. Yeah. Like a strong and, army.
0: And God had said, I'm going to drive out these people. And so maybe there's confusion of like, why, why are they still there? And I don't, they're, they're way more in number than we can. We count our whole army and this isn't going to cut it. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah. And, and so there's definitely sort of fear in that moment. Um, yeah. But once again, it's like a repeat lesson for these people. Yeah. Um, so they refuse to enter Canaan. They, they decide they we're not going to go, um, and uh and Moses and the leadership here Moses Joshua Aaron and Caleb uh are are pretty devastated mm-hmm. about it all and tear their clothes they they beg for the people not to test god um yeah and and it's a it's a real struggle
1: yeah i think this is like maybe aside from the golden calf or maybe with the golden calf which is one of the lowest points of their story right here
0: yeah at least in the torah yeah we get some low we get some low points after the torah that are pretty bad but uh in the torah journey stories yeah this is this is this is pretty rough for them
1: they they have been delivered from slavery they have been provided for they have been saved and they want to go back to egypt they want to go back to enslavement
0: yeah and yeah I don't know how, where they're at, where they can get into that mindset, but yeah. I, I guess we do that spiritually plenty where sometimes being enslaved by sin, sometimes being yeah, more like, comfortable. This
1: is too hard. The self-control required to fight this sin is too hard. I'm just going to go back to it or yeah. I'm going to justify it.
0: Yeah. And, and then so,
1: God is like, well, okay, I'm over this. Let's get rid of him, Moses, and I'll make you a great nation.
0: Yeah. And, and so the, the condemnation is that everybody, basically like 20 and over, will not get to step foot in the promised land other than Joshua and Caleb. And uh, everybody else younger will, will get to so that the, the children of these people will, will get to inherit the land. Um, and so, and the 10 spies are basically the first ones to go and so Israel doesn't like that response um they're like no 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 no. we'll 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 fix this and we'll we'll go take the land now like they, they're trying now to sort of I feel like make up for the fact that they screwed up and they and they don't want to not enter the land and so they're like well fine we'll go and they try to do it themselves mm-hmm. and they are destroyed by the Amalekites and Canaanites it's not a it's not even close um Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I also kind of think like, did they really want to glorify God in their obedience here? Or did they just want to avoid dying in the desert? Were they trying to get out of their consequence? I don't know that there was any more desire to bring glory to God or serve God than when they were planning to return to Egypt, even if the action was there. But I think one of our lessons here for us is that delayed obedience is disobedience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think they want God's blessings without God, Yeah. which is pretty common for all of us. And so, um, yeah, they're like, all right, we want that land and stuff. And Like, God, if you come with us, great. If you don't come with us, we'll 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 destroy it. We'll we'll try to destroy them anyways and settle down. And so, uh, anything's better than being out here in the wilderness. But yeah, it yeah. does not work. And then sort of uh, we get sort of a, a shift towards laws about offerings and sins and Sabbaths, and, um, and I think I think it's just a shift here of going, okay, like, all right, you twenty and older's. You're not going to get the land, but like, let's, let's reiterate for, at least for the you that are younger, um, here's what we need to, to, to see. And, and there's grain offerings or some shifts in, in a few of the things, um, which is something wrong with that. God can define what he gets to define.
1: Yeah. There's hope here when God yeah. says, when you come into the land, you are inhabit, yeah. are to inhabit. God's like, okay, let's start yeah. again where we were and keep moving forward. Yeah. I'm still your God. You're still my people.
0: Hey, you teenagers pay attention. Um, mm-hmm. and laws about unintentional and intentional sins—they're reiterated. Even the Sabbath, which I think is just—it's like, oh, like that's, that's, thanks for reminding us of that story. So, if you need to collect sticks, just make sure you do it before sunset on Friday. Otherwise, you know, yeah. it's good, not going to work out for you. And then they're given one more thing, a new thing, in these tassels. And so if you've ever seen uh, an Orthodox Jewish person, they usually have these tassels hanging down sort of from their pants. Or they're actually connected to the shawl underneath. But they look like they're hanging down from the, from the, the pants. And um, they're often blue and white and uh they were there and, and they have different thread counts and stuff like that they're there to sort of be this reminder of the law and so um i think god's like look mm-hmm. you keep forgetting this law i'm going to give you one more thing to remind you of it um and they're given like a physical thing to wear as a constant reminder of of, of his teachings of his law yeah it's so new testament
1: hmm so we pick up in the story of uh, Stephen. yeah he yep. had
0: we know Stephen is one of these early deacon-like characters, sort of in this mercy ministry of caring for the widows, but he is preaching the gospel. Um, so yeah. that he is not just focused over there on only mercy ministry, but evangelism is still central to who he is. Um, yeah, and so much like wisdom they can't even deal with him.
1: The lunch lady is still the evangelist, you right. know?
0: Yeah, just such a good lesson. And yeah, Sarah brought it up a second ago of like, the the first apostle or first person we see killed is not one of the apostles. It's not one of the formal like leadership structure in, in many ways. And it's, it's, it's not one of the Jesus is in our 12. And, and I think that's a really good lesson that the, the lay person is, is the first martyr in scripture. And, um, and for, for all of us, I should say us, I guess, because <laughs> it's not my role but as a layperson. But um, for for all the lay people, like the, the the role of ministry, the role of going and preaching gospel and doing the works like that it is the role of, of the layperson as much as it's also the role of the leadership.
1: Yeah. and And if you have the gift of service, if you like to be a behind the scenes person, that's such an important role. It doesn't mean you're not also to share the gospel. It doesn't mean you're not also an evangelist.
0: Stephen has a pretty amazing speech. Mm-hmm. Um, he he gives a pretty large summary of, of the, the Old Testament, particularly focused on Abraham, but he, he covers a, a huge swath.
1: Yeah, and of, wasn't it like so fun to read because you just read all of the things that happened? So probably everything that he referenced was fresh in your mind. Yeah. So
0: cool. Yeah, and, and I think in a lot of ways, Stephen's simply going, look, we're not saying anything um blasphemous because everything in the Old Testament has been pointing towards this. We are agreeing with the Old Testament and who Jesus was. And uh, he's not trying to say, I'm saying something new. I'm saying what the scriptures have already said Um, and, and the difficulty. And I think this is probably part of what got Stephen in trouble was Stephen is eventually like, look, our ancestors were stubborn and whenever God had a prophet or a chosen one who came and spoke, the leadership ignored him, and and now Stephen's like, and you guys are doing the same thing. You guys are just ignoring God's prophets and chosen ones, and and dismissing them. And and not only that, but he just has this like total bird at the end, where he's like, "You have uncircumcised or Gentile basically hearts and ears, which like would have been the like,
1: meanest thing. <laughs> it's like it's like Mike drop It's like, what
0: are you going to do about it? It's like. <laughs> It's just, oh man, talk about like first century burn. Um, And, and then he just sort of ends his speech there. Yeah. And, and then we
1: find out that they're enraged. And yeah, of course. Surprised.
0: Jesus sort of sees, has a sort of vision of Jesus, son of man. And they're like, all right, we're done with this guy. Uh, and and they kill him. Uh, yeah. they, they stone him, which would not be a very pleasant way to go.
1: And Stephen's last prayer is in facing an unfair and unjust death is that they will be forgiven. So how often when we are in the midst of unjust circumstances, are we praying for their forgiveness? Uh, Probably not very often. Um, But what's cool too, is that we will see this prayer answered. Saul is there. And we will find out in chapter nine what happens with Saul.
0: Yeah, not only that, but I mean, Stephen is enacting his savior here who sits on the cross pleading for forgiveness for those that are killing him. Mm -hmm. And, And the teaching of Jesus of like, look, like, this is pointing out the injustice of the thing, but it's also not responding in, with violence and kind. It's like, all right, like they're wrong, but God, you need to forgive them. Or yeah. I'm asking you to forgive them. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And so he's he's killed and we note that Saul is present during this persecution and then seems like all hell breaks loose in Jerusalem that right. day uh, where they're sort of trying to find all the Christians in town and many flee, uh, but it's important to note where they flee. So, yeah. where do they head to, Sarah?
1: They go to Samaria.
0: Yep. Samaria so. and Judea. The, the two places named in Acts 1-8 um, as sort of the, like the pseudo outline of the geography of the book. Like, it finally took this suffering, persecuted moment. Not not everybody going, oh, I'm totally going to be obedient to go to Judea and Samaria because she's told us to. It was like... Everybody's getting killed. And then we ended up in Judea and Samaria. And, and it's
1: interesting that everybody scatters except for the apostles who stay in Jerusalem. So uh, there must have been some strategy there.
0: Yeah. And maybe it's just a, so they have a quorum of, of a council. I don't know. Because uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see them, at least a few of them, serve on a council later. Yeah. But um. Yeah. So we see
1: Philip in Samaria. He doesn't hide. He doesn't lay low for things to blow over. He gets there and he's like, well, I guess I'll preach the word of God because this is where I am and this is what I do.
0: Yeah. And the Samaritans would have been like they—they they wouldn't have been considered non-Jew. They would have been very hated,
1: like but they more than hated than Gentiles.
0: Yeah, but they would have been considered in the same category right. as Gentiles. They're like pseudo-Jews, <laughs> like like distant cousin Jews. That's sort of how they would have felt. Right. Like
1: they worshipped in a different place, right. but they still believed in Yahweh. Yeah,
0: there was still some lineage connection. Um, and and then uh, they they were Jews that needed to repent and come back to the fold, and so. Um, Yeah. So like the gospel going to them isn't quite as revolutionary as we'll see next week when we deal with uh, Cornelius.
1: Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, in John 4, we see Jesus revealing himself as Messiah to a Samaritan as well. This is the first time we see Samaritans. Yeah. Okay. So, but then we have Simon the Magician
0: of course, why wouldn't you encounter right. a magician? Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and I mean, come on, first century magicians, uh, they're not much different than than modern day. It's it's parlor tricks, and usually with financial advancement and cheap thrills and stuff like that. And it would have been not much different back then. And, and so, uh, this guy comes along, sees what these apostles are doing. And it's like, oh, I want to do that too. And they're sort of like, hold on, what we're doing is not a parlor trick and it's not a gimmick and it's not for mm-hmm. financial gain. This is a movement of God. This a supernatural. We can't control that and it's not for our financial uh, advancement and and they sort of have some harsh words for this guy um, as if he can kind of put the Holy Spirit in a little box here. Um, that they're, they're sort of challenging that whole idea.
1: Yeah, and we don't really know if Simon the Magician is truly repentant or not, but what we do he- see here is that sometimes understanding the gospel takes time be teachable as a person and be patient with your own growth and the growth of others around you uh, especially new believers or people who are on the journey toward believing
0: yep and peter or the, 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 some of these I, I feel like there's a little bit of an inner circle of uh, disciples um, which even jesus sort of has them as an inner circle that have some unique authority early on in the church as if like yeah certain things need their stamp of approval uh, which we'll even see in the Cornelius and then eventually drew some counsel where it's like okay like this happened what do you guys think and um, there's sort of this weird stamp of approval uh, kind of moment and so this seems to happen here in this story too
1: which is why yeah there's a difference between the time that the Holy Spirit has received versus them right repenting it was
0: like the, the Holy Spirit working alongside this authority or at least what people probably viewed as authority that probably was why it happened that way right and then we get the Ethiopian official, or this treasurer, this representative of the queen. Um, so, if he's making the journey to Jerusalem um, at this point in time, he he, and given the reaction from this story versus the Cornelius story later, uh, I I think he would be an Ethiopian who would be a Jew. There there was plenty of archaeology that there's plenty of Jews in Ethiopia at this time, and so. Um, he's an Ethiopian by nationality, but a Jew by heritage. And, um, he's heading to, to, to the temple. But if he's a eunuch, it's important to note. And when we read this in some of the laws, like he couldn't worship like in the inner workings of the temple, like he, he could, he would have to be outside where the Gentiles were because of his eunuch status. And so he was never really allowed on sort of the inside of the worship circles. And so, um, And and he's sitting here and he's reading um, Isaiah, and it's important to note the text here because uh, Isaiah 52, uh, where it starts, or Isaiah 53, um, Isaiah 53 where it starts is um, a, a suffering servant passage. This is a passage that's absolutely about Jesus as the suffering servant Messiah. And, and he reads it and it gets quoted in that text, which is great. And, and Philip's like, yes, this is, this is about Jesus. And the text absolutely is about mm-hmm. Jesus. And he, he starts teaching this, this Ethiopian, this is who Jesus was. And this is how Jesus was the suffering servant. And he picks up in that, it says starting in, in that part of Isaiah. But if he has the whole scroll, he would have probably kept teaching. Now it's important to note just a few chapters after this, uh, I just want to read this whole text because it's so vital. Um, It says, this is what the Lord said. Maintain justice and do what's right for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. This is sort of the the kingdom that's coming now. Blessed is the one who does this. The person who holds fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, who keeps their hands from doing any evil. Uh, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no eunuch complain. I am a dry tree, so we see this foreign eunuch read this text about when the, when when the Lord comes this this, the, the foreigner will not be excluded. The eunuch will not be like a dry tree and to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who, who choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenants for them. I will give within my temple and its walls, a memorial and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And the foreigners who bind themselves to the land, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it. Now these, I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy and the house of prayer. And so, you're a eunuch and you're hearing this like, look, like Yahweh came or Yahweh's son came as, as God and as man. And he was the Messiah and he died for our sins, but he's made a way now for all of us to worship like that is the greatest news to these outsiders yeah. who, who are hearing, wait a minute, I, I don't have to stay on the outer courts anymore. And like, not only that, but the Holy Spirit comes into me. Like, that is revolutionary, um, and, and gracious and invitive uh, for, for these, for this eunuch to go, wow, that's, that's an amazing truth. And, and so, yeah, that's why he's like, let's, let's go get baptized right now. <laughs> like, let's yeah. go do this. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's such a, it's such a beautiful passage, I think, to, to that, I would assume that any person that, that would have been an Israelite memorizing Isaiah would be like, yeah. oh, like that comes right before that beautiful section. Yeah.
1: And, and again, a reminder for us, this is why the Old Testament matters, because it points us to the gospel and it gives us greater understanding of Jesus Christ and who he is and, and who God is. Yep.
0: All right, we got a couple of psalms uh, t- to walk through. Psalm 106.
1: Um, yeah, this is this is a fascinating psalm to me because it starts out like praise God and then basically the rest of the psalm <laughs> is just this list of all of the mistakes and ways that Israel messed up and then at the end it's like but God your love is steadfast his steadfast love endures forever.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting that um, the things that Israel grumbles about, it's never God's response to their sins. Um they, they respond sometimes to like God's provision or or mm-hmm. their feeling of a lack thereof. But whenever God actually enacts justice, uh, they don't sit there and be like, that wasn't fair. They, they sort of go, yeah, we messed up. And and you read through the Psalms and they're like, oh, yeah, we messed up pretty bad. And yet you were faithful. And yeah, you were just to respond to us, but yet you were still faithful. You didn't forget us. Uh, you may have had to deal with us harshly, but you never forgot us. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think Psalms like this are just a reminder of that fact. Yeah, and then Psalm ninety nine, God that,
1: is just pursuing a relationship with His yeah, people continually.
0: He listens to His the, His people's prayers, uh, but He still rules. He's mm-hmm. He's the authority. And then Psalm ninety,
1: yeah. So this is probably the oldest Psalm that we have because it was written by Moses. We don't know that for sure, but we can guess. And I, this is so fun to read since we know so much about Moses right now and we're so invested into him and into his story. We get an extended picture into his heart and his relationship with God. And I think he's got a great perspective here. He understands the eternality, the permanence of God and how quick our lives are, how short our lives are. He submits to God within it and still believes satisfaction is in the steadfast love of God.
0: Yeah. And he's pleading for God to like, don't don't forget us, don't don't turn away, yeah, yeah. So, all right, uh, next week,
1: yeah. So in Numbers, I would say just kind of hang in there, keep paying attention to what's going on. These are some crazy stories, but what is the big picture? What are they pointing to, um, and how are they showing us continually God's steadfast love and patience with His people? And in the New Testament, just check out Acts one eight before you keep going through Acts. See how God is fulfilling this promise to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth.
0: Yeah. And then, yeah, for me, uh, we encounter in the next reading the story of this, like, snake that's on a pole. And and it's a a little bit of a weird story. You're like, oh, that seems interesting. But Jesus will take it in John 3, uh, right around John 3, just before John 3.16, the the passage that many of us can quote off the, the the. top of our heads. But, um, Jesus very much makes that story about him. And so, um, think about that and maybe reference John three, maybe, maybe read the beginning of that chapter to, to think through, okay, like what does the story have to do with Jesus? And, um, cause Jesus makes that one very clear out of all the stories and numbers, um, that, that, that story ties into who he is and what he's going to do. Uh, and then, uh, for the new Testament, yeah, we're, we're about to encounter a pretty big shift in, um, in the storyline. And so I, I hope we experience or like, as we're reading it, just how big of a shift that was. Like we've been reading the old Testament and and the uniqueness of the Jewish people and Yahweh as their God and them as their people and, and everything we've encountered in the gospel has still been, it's had these hints at, at the global scope to it, but it has still been very Jewish and, and acts has still been very Jewish up to this moment, but it is about to like, Blow open, and so I hope as we're sort of reading that, that the, the the uniqueness of of the gospel or the Holy Spirit coming upon these Gentiles in the storyline, and and capture just how mind blowing it would have been for mm-hmm. a first century Jew to like be like, oh, like this is something new and different. Yeah. So that's it. Uh, thanks for journeying with us in this, and uh, we look to forward to next week. Thanks, y'all.
1: Bye, everybody.